All right, as we get ready for the Word of God this morning, I want you to go, let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 1, beginning at verse 1 through 8, as we read this passage of Scripture. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1 through 8. And the Word of God says, There was a man named Elkina who lived in Ramah in the region of Zuth, in the hill country of Ephraim. He was a son of Jerome. Now I want to skip all these names. I want you to go to verse 2. Let's just do that. Verse 2. Elkanah had two wives. That's already a problem, amen? <laughs> I'm like, every time I read that, I'm like, bro, just one's enough. But anyway, verse 2. Sorry, Lord. Okay, verse 2. Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Paniah. Paniah had children, but Hannah did not. And each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's armies at the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at that time were the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. On the days Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give a portion of meat to Paniah and each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion, because the Lord had given her no children. So Paniah would taunt Hannah and make fun of her, because the Lord had kept her from having children. And year after year, it was the same. Can you just say that with me? Year after year, it was the same. It was the same. Paniah would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears and she would not even eat. Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why be so downhearted? Just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than having two sons? Now, let's just talk about that for a second. The worst thing you could ever tell your spouse if they're having a bad day is, hey, why are you sad? You have me. Don't do that. But that's exactly the advice she heard. Now, was that good advice or bad advice? I don't know, but we're going to talk about this passage as we go into this brand new series on emotions, how to deal. Notice, dealing with how you feel. I don't know what you guys are feeling today or what you felt this week, but we're living in such emotional times that a lot of people are just emotionally making bad decisions. They're emotionally just destroyed, and maybe your emotions are getting the best of you. So for the next several weeks, we're going to be dealing with emotions and how to deal with them. And this Sunday, we're going to deal with the emotion of sadness. Let's pray. Father, bless this word. In Jesus' name, I pray that you would use me and bless us with your presence to learn the emotion of sadness. And Father, we love You and we serve You and we trust You. But Lord, maybe may here today many of us are dealing with this difficult emotion of sadness. So I pray, like Hannah, Lord, that You would teach us the cure for sadness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. You guys ready for this word this morning? This is going to be a good one. You guys can have a seat as we get into this passage of Scripture. We're dealing with the emotion of sadness. 
as you look around the world today, there's a lot of sadness going on. And sadness is one of those emotions. When you think about your emotions, we're always constantly feeling something. Now, as we learn about emotions, I want you to think about emotions like this. See, this week, as I was in the kitchen, I noticed my light switch. Now, how many of you have a light switch at home? Hopefully everyone has a light switch at home. But have you ever really thought and stopped to think about how a light switch really works? Because it seems simple enough. It's on and off. But if you would go underneath and just beneath the wall, you would see how complicated it really is. You would see so many wires. You would see hot wires. You see wires running up and down. And electricity and current is constantly in motion. The electricity is always there. But the light switch prevents it from just going out. It actually controls it. You see, this is how your emotions are. Your emotions are constant. You're always feeling something. You might feel sadness. You might fear anger. You might be feeling jealousy, loneliness, depression. But all of us at a constant state, like that electricity, we're always running on some type of emotion. But see, emotions don't have to get the best of you. Your emotions don't have to ruin your day or ruin your family or make you get some bad decisions. Your emotions can actually, like a light switch, be controlled. And every light switch, though it experiences all this constant current of electricity, it has a simple on and off switch. And your emotions, see, sometimes you can't help what you're feeling. Can I get an amen on that? You can't help it. So, Pastor, I'm trying to be Christian. I'm trying to do it God's way, but I can't control how I feel. I'm just, and you fill in the blank, I'm just angry. I'm just upset. I'm just tired. See, you can't help the emotions that you feel. But like a light switch, you can't control it. You can make a decision whether you're going to turn that emotion on or switch that emotion off. And this is the whole purpose of this entire series. Because you're going to have emotions constantly going through your mind. And see, the devil is so smart, he wants you to grab onto those emotions and make wrong choices. He wants you to hold on to those emotions and say the wrong thing. He, he wants you to grab on to those emotions and just give in with the lack of self-control you have. But see, what if I told you that if you would apply what we're going to learn today and every week in this series, you can feel whatever you want to feel, but you can have the discipline to either switch it on or switch it off. Let me give you an example of this. Like every light switch, there's a hot wire. So can I talk about anger for a minute? How many of you have a little hot wire in you? Come on. How many of you, by show of hands, by a moment of anger, 
You really just let them have it. Raise your hand just a little bit, halfway, okay. And at that moment of anger, you said something you know was wrong, but they had to hear it. Show me your hands. All right, and in a moment of anger, you broke something. You shattered something. You punched something. All right, and in a moment of anger, maybe you told someone on the road they're number one, but you used the wrong finger. How many of you have ever... Nancy? No, how many of you... All right. And we have first-time guests, and I'm thinking, what kind of church is this? We're an honest church, not a perfect church. Amen? So we have this emotion of anger. You say, Pastor, I can't help it. I'm just angry. And I agree with you. The anger just comes in, but the Bible says in your anger, don't sin. You can't help what you feel but you can make a choice whether you're going to act on it or not. So when you have an emotion come into you, you have a choice. Am I going to act on this emotion and turn it on? Or am I going to not act on it and switch it off? Because you're always going to have emotions. Emotions get the best of you. Emotions can be complicated, deceitful, unpredictable. One minute you're up, the next you're down. One minute you're happy, then you're sad. One minute you're angry, and then you're calm. Emotions are always constant, always unpredictable, and I want to make this clear this morning. Your emotions don't have to control you. If you allow the Word of God and the Holy Spirit to have control over your life, your emotions do not have to get the best of you. And in my years as a pastor, I've seen many people make bad decisions out of an emotion. They've made emotional decisions. I've seen couples get divorced when they didn't have to, but they felt a certain way. I've experienced people end their own lives because emotions at that moment got the best of them. I've seen people get into the wrong relationships because their emotions got the best of them. And I was praying for our church and I felt the Lord impress on my heart, you better learn and study and let me teach you on emotions. Because your emotions can get you in trouble. But your emotions don't have to control you. So this week, I want to start off with the emotion of sadness. Because sadness is not only common. Maybe just this week alone, you had a moment where you woke up sad. Maybe you've come to church and you're sad right now. Maybe, you've have you ever been in this place in your life where you're sad, but you don't even know why? See, sadness is a very dangerous emotion if you let it control you. And the thing about sadness is that it's so common, yet we really don't talk about it enough in the church. And sadness is so dangerous because sadness is something you can easily hide and even easily deny. You can hide sadness with just one smile. Try smiling right now. Look to your neighbor and again, just give him a smile. See how easy that was? Some of you like have that ugly smile, that awkward smile, you're like... 
Because you haven't been happy in so long, you just forgot how to smile. See, that's how easy it is to hide sadness. All you got to do is just to use the right filter, take the right picture and post it at the right time and everyone will assume you're happy. You just have to come to church and say amen and everyone thinks you're fine. Sadness is something that's even easy to deny because when someone says how you're doing, how's it going, easily, we don't even think about it, we lie. And we tell people, I'm great. I'm fine. We get spiritual. I'm in victory. What does that even mean? But we can't tell the truth because our society is based on this lie that sadness is weakness. And you can't be sad. But sadness is not only common. Sadness is so easy to deny. It's so common we get used to sadness. See, there's a thing that a lot of us aren't aware of. It's called functional sadness. See, when we think about sadness, sometimes we think it means being in a dark room somewhere, in bed, either not eating or eating too much, just depressed all the time. But see, when you have functional sadness, it's scary because you can get up every morning, get the kids ready for school, get ready for work, drive to work, work, you can do everything you have to do, you can go to school, you can go on dates, you can go out with your friends and family, and no one will ever know that deep down inside that wall there's a complication called sadness it's so easy to hide it's so easy to deny and when we think about sadness there's some misconceptions about it one of my my favorite misconceptions about sadness is that Christians shouldn't be sad. You ever heard that one before? And I remember when my mother was diagnosed with cancer and I was in a young age, my youth pastor came up to me, he meant well, but he said, David, you gotta just, don't be sad and trust God. And I never forgot that because that made me angry. Because my sadness was not a reflection of my lack of trust in God. My sadness was just a reminder that I'm human. See, sadness is something that's not only common for everyone, but yes, it's common for Christians to be sad. No, no, but Christians shouldn't be sad because if, if you're sad as a believer, you just lack faith. You're just living in doubt. And, and if you're sad as a believer, then that means that you've lost all hope in God. Where in the Bible do you find that? Because I've read the Bible through and through and I've never read a verse that says, Thou shalt not be sad. I've never read that anywhere. Being a Christian doesn't mean you'll never feel sadness. So if you're a believer today and you're going through something and you're discouraged, I want to tell you right now, that's okay. Can we take a minute for, and just breathe and say, Okay, I'm saved. I love God. I trust Him. But I'm sad. Throughout the Bible, you see many godly men and women that were, I mean, they loved God, but they were sad. You, you think about Joshua. 
Joshua, he was the one that said, as for me and my family, we're going to serve God. He was passionate about God. But see, he lost Moses. He loved Moses. And for a whole month, Joshua was sad and mourning. Because when you lose a loved one, it's hard. And God didn't get mad at him. In fact, in the Bible, God instituted a law that said when you lose a loved one, you have to take a month off to mourn because God understands sadness. Elijah was a great preacher and prophet of God who did many miracles. But he went through such a serious season of sadness and depression that he ran away and all he wanted to do was lay down and he didn't want to eat a single thing. Because Joshua, he lost a loved one. And Elijah was sad because he had certain expectations from God that did not happen. And sometimes when you have failed expectations in life, that can be very difficult to accept and it can actually cause serious sadness. Not only Joshua, not only Elijah, but think about David. David in the book of Psalms, chapter 42, verse 5. This is David, the man after God's own heart, the leader, the worshiper. He's so sad, he's talking to himself. Why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so, what? Sad. I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again. Notice what David said here. I'm sad. I'm discouraged. I'm going through a lot. I love God. I serve God. But I'm sad. For a season, he lost hope. Hope is that expectation of something good that's going to happen. He lost that. That's when you know you're sad because you're, you look at your life and you look at your future and you're not enthusiastic about anything. You're not excited about anything. You're, you're just there. Have you ever been just there? That's David. He said, I'll praise him again. That means that for a moment, he lost his praise. David had a talk with himself. Sometimes we got to talk to ourselves. And he said, well, why was David so sad? I understand Elijah was failed expectations. Joshua was the loss of a loved one. In verse 4, David's sadness was something all of us might relate to. Verse 4, my heart is breaking as I remembered how it used to be. You notice that? I'm sad because I'm thinking about the good old days. Has that ever happened to us? You might look at your marriage and you're sad because you think about how it used to be. He used to bring me flowers. She used to cook. She, we, we used to go out on dates. We used to walk. You know, some of the happiest couples are in the season when they have nothing and they're broke. 
And years later, when they're established and everything's fine, they're miserable. I said, man, I miss those days. When you lose a loved one, the pain that you have is because you're remembering how it used to be. And now you see an empty chair. You see an empty table. You, you see an empty room. Or when your children grow up, and then when they're toddlers, they love you. They can't get enough of you. When they're teenagers, they hate you. And when they're adults, they leave you. Who has kids? And then you look at them growing up, and you're like, Man, I remember how it used to be when you used to call me mommy and puppy, and I miss those days. And now they're like, I hate you. And you're sad because you think about how it used to be. Sometimes I look at our church and I think about some of the hardest years in our church were some of the best ones. And I think about how it used to be. I thought about Jerrica. She cries every time. She sees our dog, Reef. Here's Reef. Yeah, he's a, he's a stud. But listen, you want to make Jerrica cry? All I have to say is, man, Reef's getting bigger. And she's like, huh? All I got to say is, hey, remember how you used to be able to just pick him up like nothing? Look at him now. And she starts crying. Because you think about how it used to be. You want to make mom cry? There she look at her. You talk about that, she, th she starts thinking of all the good times. She's, are you crying now? Are you, yeah? you think about all the good times. You think about how it used to be and, and you see them growing. And they start crying. You think about Jacob. <laughs> Frankie cried this week because she realized how long huskies last. And she's like, oh my God. How, 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 how long? Because he's bad. You see, sadness sometimes happens because of a memory. You guys know what I'm talking about? You might be here today, you're saying, Pastor, I'm Elijah, I have failed expectation. I thought he was the one. I thought this was the job. I thought I'd be married by now. I thought, and you're sad. Maybe you're Joshua. Maybe you're Joshua, not Elijah. Maybe you're Joshua and you're, you've recently lost a loved one. We have our sister Paulette here who's lost, Frankie. And I, even me preaching, it's weird because I'm used to seeing her. Right now, by this time, she's dozing off and I miss that. And I miss that of how it used to be. Don't you doze off. You're young. But that's what happens to us. It could be a loss of a loved one, expectations. It could be the fact that you think about how things used to be. But Christians get sad. Hannah loved God. Hannah served God. Hannah gave sacrifices to God, the Bible says. But the Bible is clear that she was sad. And not only is a misconception of sadness is that Christians don't get sad, but another misconception of sadness is that, well, Sadness is circumstantial, and I'm sad because I'm going through this. I'm sad because this happened to me. I'm sad because they did this to me. I'm sad because I'm going through this trial. I'm sad because this hasn't happened yet. And we tend to think that both happiness and sadness is a circumstantial place. 
So you tell yourself this big lie, once I get out of this, I'll be happy again. Once my situation changes, I won't be bothered by this anymore. But see, as long as you're alive here on this earth, there's always going to be a reason to be sad. And we're waiting for circumstances to change. And I'll be happy when my life is better. I'll be happy when everyone acts the way I want them to. Let me know if that happens. I'll be happy when I can retire. I'll be happy when I have X amount of money. And a single person says, I'll be happy when I'm married. The married person says, I'll be happy when I'm widowed. But thou shalt not kill, so I'm waiting. And we say sadness is something that tells us that I can only be happy based on what's happening. And if what's happening in my life is bad, then I'm going to be sad. But what if sadness is not a state of your condition? What if sadness has nothing to do with what you're going through? Or how unfair your past or your life has been? What if sadness is not a result of what circumstance you have in your life right now, but what if your sadness is a result of a switch that you refuse to turn off? What if sadness is not because of your circumstances, but a choice that you choose to make? See, Hannah was sad. But by our standards, Hannah should have been happy. She was married. Not only married, she was married to a good man. Not only was she married to a good man, this was a man that was rich. Ladies, can I get a please, Lord? She married a man who was a good man, a godly man, a rich man. She traveled. By her standards, listen, we can say, Hannah, you should be happy. You're living the life. But see, she was missing a child. And if your happiness is based on the circumstances or your sadness is based on the circumstances, you will always be sad because no matter what circumstances you have in your life, like Hannah, there will always be something in your life missing. That's why you have some of the richest people in the world dealing with depression. Some of the most privileged people in this country are dealing with anxiety. Because there's always something in your life you can point at and say, I'm not there yet. I'm missing this. So even though she had everything she could be happy about, she was dealing with sadness because there was something she was missing. And this is what sadness does. It gets you to focus on what God hasn't done. It gets you to focus on what you haven't accomplished. It gets you to focus on what others have and not you. And it makes you not appreciate where you're at in your life. The reason that so many people are dealing with sadness is because we're ungrateful and we fail to thank God for who He is and where we're at right now. And the same way you can point at something in your life that's missing, you could always point at something in your life you can thank God for. See, that's why happiness is rare today. Because we've limited happiness to just a circumstance. Or sadness. You say, well, pastor, if you only knew what I was going through, you would understand my sadness. 
But the thing about sadness in Christians is that we're Christians that get sad. Just like the world that doesn't even know Christ, we get sad. Even Jesus himself got sad. When he got the bad news that John the Baptist was dead, he cried. Because though Jesus was God, he was also human. And if you've ever gotten bad news and you've cried, God was not mad at you. God was not questioning your faith. God was not disappointed at you. You see, sadness is always a reminder that we live in a broken world and we're human. And though Christians do get sad, the difference is, as Christians, we handle sadness differently. We handle sadness with hope. That's why David said, why am I sad? And he said, I will hope in God again. I will praise Him again. The difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is how we deal with sadness. But all of us get sad. We just handle it differently. You're saying, well, Pastor, how do I handle my sadness? Psalm 118, 24. Let me help you. This is the day the Lord has made. I will it's a choice. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Let's hold this verse right now. How many of you this week had a bad day? At least one. God made that day. God knew that day you would come. And God was still God on that day. Guess what's going to happen this week? You're going to have a bad day. You know, the same as last week, God made that day. God already knew that day was coming, and God was still God on that day. This is the day the Lord has made. Well, that doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem fair. But listen how this verse encourages you. This is the day the Lord has made. That word made is a Hebrew word, ashah. Asha literally means when you make something by pressing and squeezing. The idea of the word asha is pressing an olive to make oil. And God says, there's going to be days you feel the pressure. There's going to be days you feel like life is squeezing you. There's going to be days that it's hard. There's going to be days that you feel the pain. There's going to be days you're not going to like. There's going to be days you wish were over. But when you realize that the Lord has ashaw that day, the Lord has made that day, it means that even though it's a lot of pressure on you right now, even though it's squeezing you, even though it's a difficult day, God is working something good on my behalf. God is still working out His will. God is still working out His plan. So maybe on that day you got a bad health report. But God is working. And maybe on that day you got sick, but God was working. And maybe on that day your car broke down, but God is working. And maybe on that day you got some bad news, but God is working. 
When you realize that this is the day, I may not like this day, I may not have expected this day, this day may be difficult, putting a lot of pressure on me and squeezing me, but I know that I serve a God who works all things for good for those who love Him. And if you love God, no matter what the day looks like, He's working. Are you being squeezed today? It's hard when you're squeezed. And as we put that verse up for a second, I want to go back to it. That this is the day the Lord has made. See, I, I, I challenge you. When someone cuts you off this week in traffic, say, this is the day the Lord has made. Or when you're mad at your spouse, just take a deep breath, scare them a little, close your eyes, make a fist and say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will be glad. And punch you. No. And rejoice. Rejoice. Notice the choice there. I will rejoice. It doesn't tell you what type of day it is, does it? Because happiness and sadness is not circumstantial. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And some of you are in it right now. And life is squeezing you. And there's the pressure to pay the bills. There's the pressure with your children. You're being squeezed in your marriage. You're being squeezed at work. And this is a day that's just hard for me. This is a day I don't understand. This is a day I lose all my peace. But this is a day that the Lord knew you'd go through. And He was always working. That's why you can rejoice and be glad even though you're in it. Can I get an amen on that? You say, well, it's hard to have joy. Have you seen where I work? Have you seen who I'm married to? Have you seen who I'm raising? I could say the same thing. Have you seen my church? How could I have joy? I could do that. I can say that too. First Thessalonians is a verse for Christians that are dealing with sadness. They're going through a lot. In chapter 5, verse 16 through 18, here's a command, not a request. It says, always be what? Always be joyful. Always. Can we all say always? Always means no matter what you're going through. Always be joyful. Look at verse 17. Never stop praying. Look at verse 18. Be thankful in all circumstances. Sadness is not circumstantial. If it was, the Bible would not command us to be thankful in all circumstances. God doesn't say be thankful in circumstances unless it's really bad. Then you know what? Give up. God says to be thankful in all circumstances. See, some of the reasons that so many people are allowing sadness to rule their lives and ruin their lives is because you have forgotten to be thankful. See, right, right now I can stand in this pulpit and I can look, list a hundred reasons why this is a terrible Sunday service. 
I can look at the empty pews and let the devil say, oh, your church is going to fail. See, no one wants to come. I can let that happen. Or I can look at the people that are here and ask God, why them? Or I can ask God and say, Lord, help me to be thankful. There's always a reason to be thankful. Life will get hard. Life will be complicated. Life will be difficult. But there's always a reason to be thankful. If you're sad about your work, complaining about your job, shouldn't, it be, you, shouldn't you be thankful that you even have one? If you're sad about your marriage and complaining about your spouse, shouldn't you even be thankful you have someone? If you're single and complaining and sad because you're not married, shouldn't you be happy that you're saving money and stress and time? There's always a reason to complain. There's always a reason to be thankful. And God says, always have joy and always be thankful. But let's be honest, sometimes that's hard. Because suppose you get a bad report from a doctor and fear settles into your mind that it might be cancerous or imitomaz or whatever it is. It's going to be difficult for you to just Lead that doctor with a smile and look up to heaven and say, Lord, I just want to thank you for this disease in my body. Or the loss of a child. One of the hardest things a parent would ever go through. It's going to be impossible for you to look at God and say, Lord, I just I want to thank you for the death of my child. See, I believe that's why in this passage, God says, always have joy, always be thankful. But it also says, and pray. Because maybe when it seems impossible for you to be thankful because life is so hard and unfair, or it's hard for you to have joy because you're going through so much, I believe that's okay. But that's when you have to pray. When you've lost your ability to have joy. When it's hard for you to be thankful because life is just so difficult. That's when you need to fall on your knees before God and pray. That's why I love the story of Hannah. Hannah's life was controlled by sadness. Verse 17 and 18. This is what the Bible says. It says that when we look at Hannah, it says... In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the Lord God of Israel grant you the request you've asked him. Now, Eli was a man of God who told Hannah, go in peace. And notice what she says, oh, thank you, sir, she acclaimed. Then she went back and noticed she ate again. And she was no longer what? Sad. Now, here's what I want you to understand and learn today. The Bible doesn't say, remember, Hannah is sad because she has no children. The Bible doesn't say, and Hannah was no longer sad because God answered her prayer and gave her a child. The Bible doesn't say that. 
Hannah's situation had not yet changed. She was still childless. She was still discouraged. She was still comparing herself to other people who had children. But the Bible says something happened that caused Hannah to have peace. And her sadness went away. See, your sadness is not based on your circumstance. No matter what you're going through right now, you can still have a peace in your life. You don't have to live your life with anxiety. You don't have to live your life with worry. You don't have to live your life with a constant state of sadness. But you ask yourself, what did Hannah do? (coughs) What did Hannah do? I think from Hannah we can learn a few things. See, in verse 7 through 8, the Bible says that every year, year after year, it was the same. Paniah would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask. Why are you eating? Why are you so downhearted? Just because you have no children, you have me. Isn't that better than having ten sons? Now here's what we learn from Hannah. Number one, life sometimes you're going to be going through the same thing. The Bible says it was year after year after year. How exhausting is it? When you're going through the same trial, the same setback, the same difficult circumstances, nothing has changed, nothing gets better, you hope that this is the year that's going to change, you hope that this is the year God's going to answer your prayers, God's going to come through, but for Hannah, nothing changed. Everything was the same. Every day, same Monday, same Tuesday, same week, same weekend, same year. This year is like last year. Last year is like this year. Nothing's ever the same. Always never changing. I'm just stuck where I'm at. Have you ever felt like life doesn't change for you? That's hard. But it gets worse. Not only was Hannah teaching us that sometimes in life, You're going to go through the same thing that never changes. You're going to see God do for others what he hasn't done for you. And the Bible says that God was giving Paniah children. She had daughters, she had sons. Every year she was just having a new baby. So Hannah was forced to go to the baby shower. She was forced to go to the gender reveals. She was forced to babysit. And she was forced to see this woman in her house always having children. She had to have thought to herself, God, why her and not me? What do you have against me? And God, I serve you, I love you, I'm obedient, I'm faithful, and yet all I'm asking is for you to give me one child, and you've given her ten? But see, Hannah teaches us that not only is life going to be the same, but you're going to see other people have what you think you should have. You're going to see God do for others what He hasn't done for you. And Hannah teaches us that life won't always happen the way you want it to. But the most important thing Hannah teaches us 
is that sadness doesn't have to rule your life. One year, it was the same thing. No children. But one year, as she was sad, as she was depressed and discouraged, one year, she turned the switch off. And said, I'm done with this. I'm no longer living my life sad anymore. I'm going to change something. And Hannah did something that did not change her life. Listen, the Bible doesn't say, and God gave her children, and she was happy and never sad. No, something happened in Hannah that cured her sadness without nothing in her life changing. And I promise you right now, let me promise you something. I'm not going to do what most pastors do and tell you God can change your life. Maybe He can't. Maybe He won't. Maybe things are going to be the same the second you leave this door and this church. And you're going to get up tomorrow on Monday and go to school and go to work and get your kids ready and it's going to be the same. But you know what I can promise you? That even though things in your life haven't changed, I can promise you that sadness doesn't have to control your life. That you can live a life that no matter what you're going through, you could still have peace. Because I believe in my heart there are many of you here today who've lost your peace. And peace is vital for the people of God. And Hannah teaches us what she did. You guys want to learn this? Or you want to stay sad? You tell me. Let's learn. Number one, verse three. Each year, remember, same year, year after year, same thing. Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship. Sacrifice to the Lord. That's it. Number one. Worship. Worship's not circumstantial, just like sadness and happiness. Every year was the same for Hannah. And every year they would make this journey, this pilgrimage, they would go and journey to Shiloh where the tabernacle was. To go worship God. Now some people lose their worship and praise because life is hard. And Hannah could have stayed home and Hannah could have said, no, 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 why would I worship God? He hasn't even answered my prayer. He's been silent. He hasn't given me a child. She could have complained. She could have been pitiful. And oh, my life is too hard and it's so hard to pray and worship. And I'm not going to go this year. But you know what Hannah did every year? Like every year that's the same year? She got up that day and she worshiped. That's why I want to acknowledge you here this morning. Because maybe you're going through a difficult time, but you've chosen to get up this Sunday morning and worship. And that was a tough journey for her. Just like worshiping God, it's tough sometimes. 
But see, I don't want you to think that worship is just singing songs with Frankie. Because as they took this journey to worship at Shiloh, they would present sacrifices. They would listen to the Word of God. They would sing. And everyone would gather and have a meal together in fellowship. And when I started studying this scripture, I realized something. That was a picture of what the church was going to become. Church is a place where, yes, you sing to God. Church is a place where you give. You come to church, you give your tithes, your offering, you give your service. Church is a place where you go and learn the scriptures and the word of God. And church is a place where you fellowship with other believers, like-minded. And sometimes it's hard to go to church. But you need it. You need it. One of the cures for sadness is your church. Because if you come to these doors sad, there might be a song Frankie sings that picks you right up. Or if you come to this church sad, there might be a word from God that Pastor David has for you. From God. That brings conviction and changes you. If you're sad, maybe in this church there's a fellowship waiting to happen. And I want you to look at that person next to you and all around you in this church. These are people God has placed in your life to cure you of sadness. The cure for sadness, it starts with church. And that's why I believe the devil doesn't want you in church. And it's crazy when people say, oh, I have no time, I'm busy, I'm tired. But see, church is where you put God first. That's why we have it on Sunday, because Sunday is the first day of the week. See, on Sundays, we come to church to worship and to learn the word and to fellowship and to give offerings. Why? Because we are setting ourselves up for this week. But Hebrews 10.25 tells us and warns us, let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another. Why does the Bible say encourage one another to meet? Because sometimes when you're sad, you don't want to go to church. But that's when mom calls and says, where you been? Or someone else from church calls you and says, hey, we miss you. The cure for sadness is church. In fact, notice that they went to Shiloh. And the word Shiloh in the Hebrew means gift of God and peace. You know what worship is? Worship is a gift from God that gives you peace. So when you're sad, you get in your car and you listen to worship. Or when you come to church and, and we're singing these songs, you, you look at the words and let it reflect on your life and, and worship God for who He is. And what I love about Hannah is how even though she was sad, she made a choice to go to worship. 
If you've lost your peace, I guarantee you've lost your worship. Two. Verse 9 through 11. Once after the sacrificial meal of Shiloh, once she was done with the worship, notice Hannah, she got up. This is what she did different this year. She got up and she went to pray. She went to pray. And Eli the priest was sitting at the customary place besides the entrance of the tabernacle. And Hannah was in deep anguish and crying bitterly as she prayed. Prayer sometimes is ugly. She was crying. She was bitter. But she got herself up and says, I'm going to pray. Notice she got up from the table because see, when we gather with people at the table, we pray these common prayers. Bless us for this food. Thank you for this day. We love Pastor David. Thank you for him. Like Whatever you're going to pray for lunch this day. But notice she said, no, no, no. This isn't one of those dinner table prayers. I got to go by myself and have myself a good cry with God. And get real with God. When was the last time you had a good cry with God? And got real with him. And as Hannah prayed, after she worshipped, she prayed and she vowed to God, O Lord of heaven's army, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. And he will be yours. She prayed. See, you're letting sadness take over your life. You're letting sadness overwhelm your mind. You're letting sadness dictate your emotions. But what if the cure for sadness is getting back to the church and living a life of prayer? That's why Philippians 4, 6 through 7, it promises us peace. But notice it says, don't worry about anything. How many of you are worried about something right now? Chances are all of us are. You're always going to have something to worry about. But God says, don't worry about anything. Instead, what? Pray. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. And thank Him for what He's done. And notice, then you experience God's peace. Which extends all that we can understand. See, God not only tells us that the cure for sadness is worship, but Hannah also tells us here that the cure for sadness is prayer. And God says you pray about everything. And don't just pray, Lord, help me. Lord, guide me. Lord, be with me. Why? Because the Lord will always be with you. The Lord will always guide you. You're asking something of God that He already promised. So why are you asking Him to do it? God says, when you pray, ask me. Be specific. Did you notice that Hannah, (coughs) she not only prayed for a 
a child. She prayed for a son. Hannah wanted a boy. Hannah wanted a boy. And me and Jericho had a battle now because I told her today, don't, don't pray for anything. Just pray for a child. But secretly, I said, wait, wait a minute. I can pray this? And I said, Lord, give us a boy. Give it the, let the first one be a boy. But she was specific. <laughs> Lord, I want a boy. See, when you pray, pray specifically. Don't, don't over-spiritualize it. Don't make it word pretty. Get so real with God, you, you skip all the small talk and get right to it. Do you pray like that? See, what you worry about most is what you trust God for least. What you're worried about right now shows you what you trust God least. And God says, when you pray, I will guard, I will guard your mind and your heart. He's talking about your emotions. So Hannah got real with God, and I want to close with this. Hannah was in a place of sadness. She was in a place of utter depression. And she, it was so hard because she just kept seeing everyone else have what she didn't have. And Hannah was already to a point of bitterness. And Hannah's life, she, had, she should have been happy, but she wasn't. But see, one year, Hannah said, I'm going to stop being sad. Hannah did something she's never done before. She prayed. She prayed. And she said, Lord, if you will give me a son, I'll give him back to you. Lord, if you answer this prayer, I will use it to bless you. I will use it for your glory. And I love what happens in this story. Because everyone always focuses on this. And the Lord opened up her womb and she gave birth to Samuel. And I love Samuel. And he's a great guy. And he helped a lot of people out. But here's what we miss in 1 Samuel 2, verse 5. 1 Samuel 2.5, those who fell, notice, this is Hannah praising God. Those who were well fed are now starving. Those who were starving are now full. The childless woman, that's her, the childless woman now has what? Seven children. And the woman with many children wastes away. We don't know why she wrote this, but I love it. Because one day, Hannah got up, and I'm here to tell someone this morning, you better get yourself up. Because yes, your life is hard. 
You have lost. You have suffered. You have worked. And it may feel like everything is the same. But Hannah had to get herself up. And what I love about this verse is that the Bible says she had seven children. And Hannah was only praying for one. And what if God wants to give you more than you're asking? Because God says in Ephesians 3.20, He is able to do far more than we ask, think, or even imagine. That's the God that you serve. But it also says you have not because you ask not. And I want you to notice that Eli looked at her and said, Go in peace. And that word peace in the Hebrew is the word shalom, which literally means to be peace, to have peace and be complete. And the number seven in the Bible represents completion. Could it be that the priest was actually telling her, if you only knew, Hannah, that God was about to do more in your life. And you're asking God for eight, child, but he's about to give you seven. He's about to give you more than you're asking. He's about to complete you. But it took her getting up. But I love this verse, not just because she prayed and not because God gave her more than she was asking for, but the Bible says the woman with many children was wasting away. And I love that. Because we don't know what happened to Pania, but the Bible says that she was wasting away. And maybe like Pania, you've had people tell you in your life, you'll never make it. You'll never come out of this. You'll just give up now. But when she had her seven children, she was able to look at Pania in the eye and say, I trusted God. And I stopped listening to your words. But she prayed. Let's all stand to our feet this morning. If emotions are getting the best of you and you're saying, Pastor, I'm living a life of sadness with every head bowed and every eye closed today. What if God is having you right now in this church? Because he's saying to you, ask me. I want you to leave this church with peace knowing that I'm working. But be specific. Ask me. Worst thing God can say is no. But if he says no, it's because he has something else better. But maybe it's time for you to shut off the switch of sadness. Stop looking at what everyone else has and not you. Live a life where you rejoice in everyday moments. No matter what you're going through, you can rejoice and have joy. But maybe you've lost your worship. Maybe you haven't prayed in a long time. And your life is just wasting away. And I believe today God is telling you this morning. Don't let sadness rule your heart any longer. 
And I know it's hard, and I know it's difficult, and I know what you're going through is unfair. God says he's working. But like Hannah, would you make the choice to say, I will not allow my happiness to be dictated by my circumstance. But I'm going to pray. So if you're here this morning, Hannah, she got up and she ran to the tabernacle. She ran to the altar of God. And with tears and bitterness, she cried and said, Lord, please do this for me. And as we close and start off this series, I want to invite anyone here this morning, if you have a need in your life, a real need, and you are faced with something that frightens you, and you're living your life with sadness over what might happen, what will happen, what has happened. If there is dreams in your heart that have you sad because they haven't happened yet, what if God is saying, come to me and pray? And watch me work a miracle. If this is you this morning, I invite you like Hannah to come forward this morning. I want to pray over your life like Hannah. And I believe this is a type of prayer that everyone should be at this altar saying, Lord, I have a need in my life. There's a need in my life. And I'm stuck and everything is the same. And I'm going through what's impossible. And sadness has my life. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to pray over everyone here today. And I want to pray over our church as well. Can I do that? Would you tell God right now from your heart what you need? Tell him why you're sad. Just ask him right now and surrender to his will. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we come boldly to your altar. Father, we may be sad, discouraged, because life hasn't happened the way we thought it would. We might be sad because we've lost things we thought would be with us forever. Father, we may be sad right now because life is just hard for us and it feels like for everyone else it's easy. And we've seen you do for others what you haven't done for us. Father, in this church today, there are people that are just being squeezed and under pressure. And there are people that have to have bills paid. There are people that have to raise this child by themselves. There are people that have to work, but not even they're not even sure if they're going to make ends meet. There are people here, Lord, with things and sicknesses in their body. There are people here with problem children. There are people here with troubled marriages. There are people here, Lord, with closed wombs. There are people here with sadness. But we know that sadness is a choice. 
that we can, like Hannah, get up and still worship you, Lord, because you are a God who provides. You are a God that works miracles. So, Father, for every need that we have, you already knew and already were making ways and provisions. So I pray in the name of Jesus for everyone here, Lord, on this altar today and in this church who might be worried, who might not know how, who are overwhelmed with fear and sadness. Father, we declare that nothing is impossible for you. And you're a God that says you do all things according to your will. And you also say that you are able to do far more than we even ask, think, or imagine. And Lord, Hannah was asking too small because you had so much more for her. And Lord, I know you have more for this church. I know you have more for the people in this church. You have more for the people in this altar this morning. So maybe we're asking too little because you are such a big God. But in Jesus' name, we pray for the impossible to be done. We pray for miracles to take place. We pray for sicknesses to vanish. We pray, Lord, as we stand here discouraged and sad, and as Pania laughs at us, we pray we have the final laugh. We pray that you humble every enemy, every hater, every jealous person that taught discouragement over our lives and our church. I pray, Lord, that through our greatness done by you, you would show the world that nothing is impossible. We pray. Father, today as life is hard, we worship. We preach. We serve. We fellowship. Because this is our church. And we thank you for the gift of our church. Father, we pray. Because we're sad. Father, we pray. Because we have not, because we ask not. So forgive us for praying too small. And in Jesus' name, would you fill this last sentence with me? Lord, I pray. And you fill in the blank right now. I pray for my children. I pray for my family. I pray for my future. I pray for my finances. I pray for my dreams. I pray. Just tell God, I pray because I trust you. I pray because I'm desperate. I pray because I'm scared. I pray because I'm discouraged. I pray, Jesus, in your name, that you would hear and see my desperation and answer me according to your will. I dare you to pray that right now. 
In Jesus' name. Say it with me. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Come on, give God some praise this morning. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.